Coming to you live from the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas and Money 2020, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance, where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate, actionable insights, unscripted. Banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. If you're looking to grow your digital banking business, check out Lemonade LXP, the digital growth platform for financial institutions and fintechs. Lemonade LXP has both ingredients you need to drive digital growth a learning experience platform that uses daily micro-learning to give staff the knowledge and confidence they need to promote and support your digital capabilities, and a digital adoption platform that supports your digital capabilities with technology walkthroughs that you can author in just minutes. So if you're rolling out new technology, merging with or acquiring another FI, or just looking to drive digital banking growth, you gotta drink the lemonade. For more information, check out Lemonade LXP at www.lemonadelxp.com. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. And boy, oh boy, am I going to hit the pillow hard tonight. It's been one roller coaster of a convention, but I don't mean that it has its ups and downs, that it has been a fun and very exhausting ride. I'm learning a lot, and that's really half the fun of coming to a conference like this, is learning the things that I didn't know or thought I knew something about, but now I'm getting a more complete picture from people who are really smart. And the other part of it is meeting people who start out as interviewees, but in quite a few instances, I feel, will become friends as well. And I think I've got just that type of person sitting with me. In the short time I've gotten to know him a little bit, I'm just really impressed and hoping I can share something about the company he has started, what makes it special. And that person is Lawrence Latimer, and he is a co-founder of the startup Denara, which is a reimagining enterprise financial services company for crypto businesses. And there's a really fascinating story there especially given the times we're in. As both an entrepreneur and investor, Lawrence has more than 20 years of experience developing, launching, and scaling new technology products and services, as well as investing in and advising early stage startups. He led growth initiatives and new market entry in the US, Asia, Latin America, and Sub-Saharan Africa. Lawrence is a fellow of the 2019 class of the Aspen Finance Leaders Fellowship which is a very prestigious fellowship, I might add, and a member of the Aspen Global Leadership Network. Lawrence, welcome to Bankadelic. Thank you very much. I appreciate the introduction. Mm. Uh, hopefully I can live into all that. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, man, it sounds like you already have and then some. And hopefully once you share part of the story here, yeah. um, I'll know even more. And our listeners will, too. Now, you are a co-founder of a company that is fast coming up on two years mm -hmm. in existence yeah. as with many startups I mean I could ask this question a hundred times it's never going to be the same answer right but I'm real fond of the moment when yeah 
this idea that at some point Lawrence is living this cool, happy life, and then suddenly something changes and the seed of Dinara takes shape. And it's also, too, I think in a lot of instances, about solving a problem. Mm -hmm. So take me to that beginning moment when you knew or you realized that this could be something, and then what the problem was that you and your co-founders recognized that needs to be solved. Yeah. Well, let me start by saying, in many ways, this feels like the culmination of 20 years mm -hmm. of work in regulated uh, industries, mostly in regulated financial services industries. Uh, about a little over two years ago now, I was uh, working at a, actually an AI uh, startup and realized that I'd left, uh, I was working at an exchange called IEX for about five years, left there in, in February 2020, went to an AI startup, uh, was there for about a year and a half and realized that I really had spent most of my life building in financial services, and I really wanted to get back there. Yeah. Uh, and I'd done a bunch of work in uh, crypto and digital assets and, and blockchain since about 2015, so I'd been relatively deep in the space during my time at, at IEX, and saw that as an opportunity, a kind of generational opportunity, uh, similar to the way that mobile was a generational opportunity oh, yeah. and, and the dawn of the internet was a generational opportunity. And the fusing of the two really was the kind of catalyst for many of the innovations that we have today. So that, that, that kind of idea of blockchain and digital assets as a generational opportunity and innovation was really deep in my mind. It's something yeah. that I, I was, was, Absolutely. Was, was high conviction in. Uh, and in early 2021, I got reconnected with uh, someone I had met many years back, uh, my now co-founder Keith DeLara, mm -hmm. who was at the time an executive in residence at Silicon Valley Bank, SVB. Wow. And he was there, focused mostly on their digital asset strategy. He was doing some work in advisory and uh, really just helping them think through their strategy. But one of the uh, ideas that had come up at that time was there really isn't a corollary in the digital asset space to what you see in the fiat side when it comes to banking. This yes. is now innovated in Silicon Valley Bank. And so you had a bunch of point solutions that did certain things really, really well, but didn't, there wasn't any entity that brought it all together, that simplified it, that abstracted away from the complexity of financial services uh, that you have on the, on the fiat side. When you, mm -hmm. when you start a new business, in, on, on, you know, whether it's a coffee shop or you're, you know, start a hardware business or you start a, you know, a car dealership, you go to your bank, yeah. It might be a local bank, mm -hmm. you know, pick one, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, maybe it's a local bank, you know. You get a checking account, you go in, you get a business bank. You get a checking account, you make your payments out of that thing, maybe you get a savings account, get a little bit of yield on your excess, uh, you know, dollars that you have there. Mm -hmm. Maybe over time you get a, a card, credit card. Uh, maybe over time you might get a loan from that bank. And so that bank provides you with a whole stack of financial services that are really critical, not only for the um, launch of that business, but the overall success of that business. And that corollary didn't exist in digital asset side. Right? You have, again, a bunch of point solutions. And so that was clearly a, an opportunity that finance leaders, CFO, your VP of finance, your controller, they were demanding and really um, was a major pain point for them. Mm -hmm. uh, on, in, in companies that, that were kind of Web3 companies, digital asset companies, blockchain companies. And so that was the kernel of the idea. These, these finance 
you know, leaders were just saying, it's so hard, it's so complicated, it's so complex, it's so difficult for me to manage my digital asset treasury in the ways that I manage my fiat treasury. Yeah. And so that was the, the kernel of the idea. And frankly, my whole career, kind of coming back to how I got there, my whole career has been about access and opportunity. I've been on the infrastructure side of financial services for going on 20 years, nearly 15 plus years. Wow. Uh, and it's really been about how do I enable others through financial infrastructure, enable others to succeed in whatever it is that they were doing, innovate in ways that were uh, really creative and brought you know, change into the communities that they serve. Uh, and so when I uh, talked to Keith and, and others at SVB about this particular idea, it really resonated with me that here's an opportunity we have to help to bring to the mainstream type of financial infrastructure that's really a, a necessary condition on the fiat side of the world, yeah. but didn't really exist in the digital asset side of the world. And so that they, you know, that, that was the big, the big picture idea. Mm -hmm. uh, really resonated with me. We had the the kind of kernels of the of the MVP at that time. Uh, Keith and I really started to noodle on the idea and really continue to refine the idea. Uh, and ultimately, we we agreed that this made sense. And I came on, and uh, the idea was incubated within Silicon Valley Bank's innovation group. Um, and that group had a history of, of launching and spinning out uh, mm -hmm. businesses, including Gouch Insurance, a startup yeah. insurance company. Uh, and then ultimately we uh, incorporated in December of 2021 and uh, raised some capital, which we closed in February of 2022. And I've uh, been running uh, fully independent from SVB uh, yeah. since December 2021, but we've been running ever since. So we spent mm -hmm. 22 building the platform and launched right at the end of 22 and a pretty challenging environment for the industry, but we've been, been doing pretty well ever since. Yeah, and it's totally understandable. The timing of launching an idea that you are inspired by, something that needs to be built from the ground up because that infrastructure doesn't exist anywhere else. The idea of taking points, uniting them into a constellation, mm. if you will. It's a great That's analogy. all something that it ripens when it ripens. Of course, we can't control a challenging environment where it's not just interest rates and inflation, but it's a lot of the bad news that's been going on in the crypto world. And as a media person, I always like to say that the news doesn't necessarily equal the reality. Mm. There are many, many, many people who believe in crypto for good reasons, but there's one car wreck on the highway called FTX and everyone's rubbernecking, right? And so it's allowing people to take their eyes off of the road ahead. So A, good for you that you've got your eyes on the road ahead, but now let's also get under the hood, you've described the genesis of the idea. Mm -hmm. Help me understand how it works now if you're working with Dinara. Mm -hmm. What are you doing exactly? And let's maybe use an example to show me, like, you know, if yeah. I approach you and um, I decide to use your services, yeah. how does that work? Sure. Well, again, just the, the high level is we provide enterprise business banking services for companies that transact with digital assets, and just U.S. headquartered companies, I want to yeah. be clear about that. Uh, and so what do you get from your traditional fiat bank? Right? You're going to get a place to hold your assets. You think of a savings account or a checking account. On the digital asset side, it's custody. You're typically going to get a place where you can get some yield on those assets. It might be a money market account or a savings account. Sure. In the digital asset space, it might be you know, a staking service or uh, it could be you know, access to some tokenized real-world assets that give you some yield on the, on the, on the uh, 
asset. In the, the fiat side, you might get um, credit products. It could be a, you know, a term loan or you know, collateralized loan or even a credit card, frankly, is a, a credit uh -huh. product. Yeah. Um, and similar types of things on the digital asset side. And lastly, you know, from a bank, you get lending. Um, uh, um, uh, and so, you know, we uh, excuse me, payments is sort of the last one, uh, ACH wire and some others. And those are, so what we provide with Dinar, uh, what we launched with is custody, the ability to also then uh, do payments or transactions, so wallet-to-wallet -wallet transactions. Uh, and we've got, you know, uh, uh, rolled out some fiat on-off ramps, so the ability to really bridge between the digital asset world and the fiat world to those off ramps, which we do through a partner. Uh, and then we're now working on um, some lending products and some uh, yield-bearing products as well. So think, think things like staking, although again, on the roadmap, haven't quite launched with those yet. Mm -hmm. But really the idea is to make it really, really simple uh, and to provide the tools for finance leaders of the organization that they're used to on the fiat side. So whether it's um, the ability to really make the reconciliations at the end of the month dramatically simpler uh, when they have all the assets on our, our platform, digital assets on our platform. Uh, you don't have to munge a bunch of spreadsheets from different entities, whether it's some exchanges over here, maybe you've got some uh, third-party custody over there, uh, maybe you've got some uh, um, you know, payment services that you use over here and trying to munge all the transaction data. We can do all that on our platform for anything that happens on, on Dinar, uh, uh, saving hours a month. Uh, we've made certain workflows dramatically simpler. So if you're, say, a, a VC firm, you know, and our, our, uh, think about our customers stepping back real quick. Our customers are typically crypto startups mm -hmm. um, or the VCs that are investing in those startups. Yeah. And we've actually increasingly started to see some Web 2 companies that are moving into Web 3. So it might be, say, a consulting firm that's accepting stable coins or other tokens as payment yeah. uh, for the services they provide. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, coming back to some of the types of, of things that we do to add value for our customers, might make a workflow of investing for a crypto VC so much simpler. Um, what might take a couple of clicks on our platform would be three or four different entities that they would have to work with point solutions from their bank to uh, uh, maybe they've got to go to an exchange and then they've got to swap into different you know, assets, uh, you know, oftentimes into a stable, and then they've got to then send that stable down to a contract. We can do all that with a couple of clicks on, on our platform. That is great. Um, if you're, again, uh, maybe a crypto startup, uh, we've got folks that are uh, uh, building an account structure. They're just sending in their accounts receivable, so they're using our account as their main uh, receivable or, or receipt account. And then, you know, periodically, they might need to then make, pay vendors in fiat, and they're off-ramping that into their fiat bank account and then paying through that fiat bank account uh, to their vendors. So we can make, a, you know, that's a, just a, a very quick couple of, of examples, but we make certain workflows really, really simple uh, for our users that oftentimes take three, four, five different and counterparties to do on, um, uh, that they're in the workflows that they have today. Uh, and then we also make uh, integration into other crypto-based services really easily. So if you think about, again, the corollary on the fiat side, you might have your bank account, and then it, it, uh, you can integrate directly into your QuickBooks account. Maybe mm -hmm. that integrates uh, into something like a, a, you know, a bill pay or a bill.com. Uh, we have similar types of integrations that we're working on with companies on the digital asset side so that you really get uh, one integrated workflow all the way from banking to uh, tax and accounting to your payments workflow. So again, um, uh, we think of ourselves as the corollary uh, to your fiat bank, uh, but built from the ground up on the digital asset side. Wow. And 
stress on the word flow mm -hmm. and workflow, right? Because if there is no flow, if the different elements are disconnected and you have to make a bunch of different journeys to bring the pieces together, instead someone comes to your company as a financial institution and now it's kind of just sails straight through. That's exactly a right. fantastic value proposition. Now, one of the things that has nothing to do so much with your company is just the conditions that we're at, right? We've mm -hmm. got this big rubbernecking thing called FTX, right? And then on the other side, there's Binance, who's run by a very mysterious guy who may or may not have the cooperation of a communist government behind him and may be doing things just as bad as SBF is alleged to have done. And on top of all of that, just this idea that, and by the way, I don't consider this to be a reality, it's just what I have heard and what is stated, is that with crypto, there's no there there that really what we're talking about is some guy, Satoshi Nakamoto, who may be 10 people for all we know, who wrote this paper and suddenly you've got this Bitcoin and now you have Ethereum, Ripple, and all the other cryptocurrencies, but at the end of the day, there's no there there. There's nothing backing up the asset. There's no gold, there's no central government. And people are kind of taking all of these things and you know, as people do when they're fearful or hear bad news, they're sort of conflating it. There's talk of a crypto winter. I much prefer being the person that can look off into the distance or have someone clarify what the distance looks like. And well, if they're saying crypto winter, right? Mm -hmm. Really? It's a, it's a very catchy name, but is it really the reality? If you will, I want you to be that person to sort of assess what the situation is today with cryptocurrency, mm. perhaps more realistically. But then also, things recover. People come to their senses. And you believe in crypto, otherwise you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. What might the future look like? When can we expect that things are going to return to some sort of normalcy? Yeah. There's a lot in that question. There's a long question. Uh, there's a lot, a lot in there. Let me unpack some of that. Yeah, um, and if I bullet point it, it's like, you know, what are people getting wrong right now or don't understand, and why is there a reason to look ahead? Yeah. Well, let me start by making a bit of analogy. And, and if you're of a, a certain vintage, you might remember the uh, um, kind of mid-late 80s, early 90s, when the Internet was just becoming more mainstream. Yeah. You know, this was before Netscape, before our first browsers. Yeah. Uh, I remember being in grade school and having you know, a terminal with a green screen, and you could telnet to other um, terminals. Uh, and you know, telnetting was, was a big thing. It was real-time communication at the time. Mm -hmm. You could talk to somebody in another computer. You know, you had to set a time because they had to be there live on the other end, and you, you know, everybody had to have a certain. You know, the, it wasn't the, the equivalent of a of a um, of your uh, uh, um, uh, not uh, TCP, but uh, 
the equivalent of a terminal ID. And I forget exactly yeah. what we mm -hmm. called it, but the, you had to have that lined up and you had to have all this stuff. So the amount of work that it took to go into communicating real time with that person on the other side was, was a, a big effort. There were plenty of people saying, oh, this is never going to amount to anything, it's just a fad, it's too hard, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's too slow, the UI is too complicated. And then we had Netscape. Yeah. Right? And all of a sudden we had a browser that abstracted away from all the complexity on the back end and made it really easy to get information Simplicity. off of this thing, off of the internet, right? Very simple. Keeping it simple, And yes. then all of a sudden, you had this proliferation of applications uh, that built on top of the browser, built on top of what we, what we now know as the web. And to me, um, you know, even just taking another analogy, thinking about mobile uh, internet, you think about the uh, you know, uh, flip phones and our old Nokias, again, if you're of a certain vintage. Yes. Uh, this is pre-iPhone days. It was slow, you know, just even text messaging took a while, and then, you, you know, um, and, you know, you think about the old uh, Palm Pilots and the wireless. These were slow devices that were, were not particularly useful, frankly. I mean, they were... They were leaps and bounds ahead of anything that existed at the time because they were so new, but they weren't particularly useful. And it took the confluence of the iPhone, which really brought simplicity and elegance to mobile devices, and faster mobile speeds. So when we finally got to 3G, yeah. where things really took off. Mm -hmm. You know, those two analogies, I think, are great for where we are in the cycle on digital assets. We've really had just the beginnings of mainstreaming of digital assets. We've had, you know, the first cycle, if you will, going back, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, is really where we were just kind of figuring out what all these things were. Um, you then had the kind of 18, 19 cycle, maybe even going into early 20, we call it 18, 19 cycle, where now we were extending the capabilities and had the ICO craze and that sort of went away. Mm -hmm. Where I think we are today the headlines are really about trading of digital assets. Yes, exactly. What gets very little headlines are the work that's happening underneath. The infrastructure plays, the, the you know, the tokenization of real-world assets is now a thing, but this kind of infrastructure type plays, whether it's financial infrastructure, thinking about loyalty programs, whether it's it's Nike or even Starbucks, which is loyalty programs are basically NFTs. Yeah, and the um, Web3 aspect of all of this that right. most people know very little about. And shouldn't know anything about. Yes. Right? Shouldn't, you shouldn't need to be an expert in the technology to leverage the benefits of it. And that's what's really happening under, for my mind, and when I look at my own customers, uh, for Dinara's customers, that's where, for me, the exciting stuff is happening. You're seeing all kinds of infrastructure plays and like, plays that are going to enable the next generation of consumer applications, the next, you know, that are put on platform plays uh, that are leveraging the technology, that are leveraging tokenization, that are leveraging all these things in ways that are really new and novel, that bring incredible amount of efficiencies, uh, efficiency gains into workflows that are bringing simplicity, that are reducing costs. Uh, and you know, that's not sexy, it's not getting headlines, but it's happening. Yeah. Uh, and so we haven't quite had that pivotal moment, that Netscape moment, uh, mm -hmm. quite yet on the, on the digital asset side, at least I don't see it that way, where that helps you cross the chasm. But it's there, and it, it's sort of waiting right below the, 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 the kind of zeitgeist, if you were waiting right below the horizon. And it's just going to take one really tremendous application for this to really break through 
and I think really accelerate the mainstreaming of digital assets uh, yeah. as part of the, the, the technology ecosystem. I love that phrase, the Netscape moment. That's yeah. what we're waiting for, indeed. Yeah. And citing the iPhone is wonderful because it took something that was so complicated behind the scenes that maybe people didn't appreciate what it was, but then again, maybe they didn't have to. Why? I just know that when I pick this thing up, I can listen to my music, exactly. I can send text messages, I can shoot pictures with it. Yeah. Really a work of genius. And by the way, one of the reasons I miss Steve Jobs so much, because he had this belief, it's attributed to him anyway, that if I'm on a website and it takes me more than three clicks to get anywhere, or if someone is using one of my devices and it takes more than three clicks, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. So when you say simple, 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 I'm a big fan of that. It was funny, one of the things that we, you know, not quite a mantra within Dinar, but we talk about often is you never want to be more than two clicks away from any action you want to take on the platform. And so it's just ironic that you happen to mention that idea of sort of never more than three clicks. We want to bring it down to two. Wow. Yeah. You can do it. Oh, you talk to our customers. They, they'll tell you. We, we, we've done pretty well so far. That's fantastic. And as we ride off into the sunset here, one of the things I'm fascinated with is you guys have raised money, mm -hmm. you've taken an idea and turned it into reality, mm -hmm. you have customers, mm -hmm. you're bucking the trend of a complicated startup environment right yeah. now. I would love, if you could, mm -hmm. right, to give an honest assessment of what some of the challenges are that remain and what the big goal is that's pulling you guys forward? Yeah. Well, the, the challenges, there are all kinds of challenges out there. I mean, that's the nature of any startup, right? You're, you're by, by definition, you're doing something that either hasn't been done before or certainly hasn't been done in the way that you're doing it before. So, the key thing is always customer adoption, right? You need to get customers and customers who are willing to, to pay for your services. Um, we've had success at that so far, so we're mm -hmm. certainly trending in the right direction. Yeah. You always want more. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I think the there are thousands of Web3 companies in the United States today. There are hundreds more that are, that are coming on on a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis. Um, the real inflection is when digital assets start to go more mainstream. Uh, and when you've got companies like you know, Visa, MasterCard, some of the companies here at, at Money2020, mm -hmm. PayPal and um, uh, uh, Stripe that are all enabling payments and transactions on their rail, rails, Mm -hmm. and digital assets. Mm -hmm. That to us is a great tailwind. And so that, that's a kind of enabling technology we think is going to help bring the next million, 10 million companies in from web two to web three. Yeah. So, but that's always a challenge is customer acquisition. So that's always number one. Um, number two in our space is that, at least in the US, it's a challenging regulatory uh, uh, environment. Oh yeah. Um, and so you know, I think that when, uh, uh, it's really a matter of time uh, when legislators, uh, as well as regulators, provide the kind of clarity that you have in you know, most other industries, that will give comfort uh, and certainty to businesses that would like to get into this space, that would like to take advantage of the types of, of uh, savings, um, uh, efficiency gains that they can have uh, by leveraging uh, either digital assets or blockchain technology, but really are 
um, um, you know, hesitant to do so today because of the, the lack of clarity and certainty in the marketplace. So I think that's another area. Starting to see some really good signs coming out of um, uh, legislator July of uh, this year. The, um, House put forth a number of different bills that uh, crypto-related bills that provided the kinds of, of guidance and, and, and clarity that, that the industry has been asking for, for for a long time. And that's the key. The industry has been asking for it. Yeah. The stereotype is that, well, it's crypto. It's the wild, wild west. Anything goes. Don't those people know what they're doing? And yet, people who eat, sleep, and breathe it like you know better. That's not that at all. It's really about getting guardrails in place so that people know how to do what they want to do so they can get the job done. No, that's exactly right. And the ecosystem of companies that we work with and partner with, um, we actually launched our own um, kind of partner program we called Denara Connect. These are all folks that aren't adversaries to regulators. They're actually um, looking to collaborate with regulators. They're, they're trying to support that? The, the, you know, the overall industry, working together, working with our regulators, and to do things the right way um, so that we can help enable you know, the entire industry to go more mainstream, right? To give that kind of certainty and clarity and to participate in creating that so that more more businesses will, will come online and go from web, web two to web three. So yeah, so you know, listen, it's, it's, it's a challenging environment. Um, mm -hmm. um, uh, for any young industry, this is not a new thing. Um, <laughs> we can go back to the early days of hedge funds you know, when long-term capital management, again, I'm probably dating myself, yeah. but when you think when they, those guys blew up and almost took down a financial system because they were over-leveraged, yeah. nobody said we should just ban the hedge fund industry. In fact, the hedge fund industry is you know, 100 times larger today than it was then. And there was some smart regulation that came out to help put some uh, guardrails around the industry. Um, you go back to, you know, uh, really want to take a history lesson, go down, you think of the, the um, you know, the, the, the financial crash of, of 29, right, and the, the recession that, that came out of depression that came mm -hmm. out of the, the financial crash of 29, and we got the 33 Act and the 34 and like all these things that helped yeah, the create SEC the modern, that, exactly, right? the modern financial regulatory system. So this is not a new thing. When you get new industry, new technologies, new, new financial instruments, um, um, that you have a, a period where the regulatory environment and the legal environment are sort of adjusting. Um, so this is not a new thing. This is a, a tried and true process. Uh, we're still early days in our industry overall, and you know we're working. Um, I think many of us in the industry are, are collaborating, working with uh, regulators, legislators to try to bring the kind of clarity that will um, we think be good for for consumers, mm -hmm. um, help bring innovation, um, and we think you know really valuable innovation into the the marketplace, uh, and ultimately is good for the economy. Yeah, and. I'm going to take a contrarian view here, and I have taken it already, so I've put my money where my mouth is. You mentioned Silicon Valley Bank and the relationship of one of your co-founders to that entity. Yeah. I had a person on my podcast, Chris Aliota, extensive regulatory background, mm -hmm. and he said, I'm going to tell you something that nobody gets. He said, I feel the regulators drop the ball, mm -hmm. right? Because the assumption is, oh, a bank fails, it's a bunch of bad boys. If you look at some of the investments Silicon Valley Bank was making, they were sensible. And if there was a discussion, a dialogue between the regulators and the bank, maybe none of this would happen. And he's saying this, and a couple weeks later, the regulatory bodies came out and said, you know what, we were asleep at the wheel. Hmm. 
And that's what's interesting about what you're pointing out because it's that symbiotic relationship between regulators and a new industry that creates a flourishing environment, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's that analogy I think of where you have maybe a farm with a bunch of cows on it, and the cows are great and they're happy, but the farmer doesn't put a fence up. And now the cows are maybe scared because they don't know what to do if they've gone too far and they need to come back and someone puts up a nice fence. Mm -hmm. Weird analogy, right? But the cows are happier than ever. They know how far they can roam and you don't need to go any further and there yeah. you are. And it's like, we need those fences. We need those guardrails. Mm -hmm. So, wow, yeah. what a discussion. This has been phenomenal experience. I know we were both kind of running around today. I was not sure we were gonna make this happen. I'm really, really happy we made it happen, and hopefully we can do it again at some point. Well, thank you, and I know how busy you've been. Um, you've dropped a handful of podcasts, I know you've got a few more in the, uh, in the can, and this conference has been incredibly busy uh, the entire time, so uh, I appreciate you making time for, for this conversation. Well, right back at you. Thank you so much. Lawrence Latimer is a co-founder of Dinara. You can look for Lawrence on LinkedIn. Thank you. You're listening to Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at NMD Plus, based in London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard here, be sure to check out NMD Plus's financial technology podcast, Dave and Darm Demystify, with hosts Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery. Bankadelic, sponsored by the William Mills Agency. For close to 40 years, the William Mills Agency has served hundreds of companies that provide a wide range of products and services in the banking, payments, mortgage, credit union, and related markets. The William Mills Agency is the largest provider of PR and marketing services for companies that market to the financial industry. For more information, visit williammills.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? Banker Hire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. Banker Hire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit BankerHire.com. With more than 1.2 million page views annually, Talking Biz News is the go-to source for happenings in business journalism. Whether you're a PR professional, a business journalist, or someone just breaking into the field, TBN is a source that you cannot do without. Whether you're following the Washington Post, New York Times, local media outlets, or some feisty news startup, Talking Biz News has you covered. Job openings are also listed and updated every day on the TBN website. Be sure to sign up for your free subscription to the TBN newsletter at Talking Biz News. That's Talking BizNews.com. 
Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Ken Montone. Our business consigliere, the one and only Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Thanks as always to the William Mills Agency for their generous support. Thanks also to Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News, a division of Vested LLC. I'm Lou Carlozo. You can catch me on LinkedIn and someday on my Vaudeville YouTube channel. Ring a ding ding ding. Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.